Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at the 24th chapter uh, of the, the, this year's review of the Dhammapada. There's two more after this. Um, and then there's three classes. Again, these are all listed on the website now um, that we're going to be doing specifically for um, two purposes. One is leading up to the retreat and one sutta um, that I'm teaching because one of our students, Zach, thank you for the inquiry, and to Jana, um, which is always good to talk about. Um, and then we'll finish just before the retreat that Tuesday night. Um, Brian and the Kemps and Dhamma teacher Tom from the UK will be joining us that night. And that sutta will be on the Ratana Sutta, taking refuge. So it's a nice leader into, into our retreat. Um, the Tanavaga, Tanha means thirst. I'll read it. I told myself I was going to read the the introduction rather than talk. But what happened here? I'm going to do that. Um, so this is from the introduction that I know you all read this past week, right? But the words are just brilliant, so I'm going to... The 24th chapter of the Dhammapada is the Tanha Vaga. Tanha, T-A-N-H-A, means thirst, craving, desire, um, and constantly grasping after satisfying life experiences. So it's rooted in the three defilements, isn't it? It is through the development of restraint that the wise disciple is able to clearly recognize the individual clinging, individual clinging to all manifestations of craving. Meaning it's, we're not... This isn't a broad application that we, a blanket that we can throw on all of our experiences. It's in the moment that we're recognizing thirst and desire. And that the reason why we sit on our cushions is primarily so that we can recognize when we're getting distracted by our own desire. In this way, the Tanavaka describes in practical detail the scope and purpose of the Buddha's Dhamma. The Buddha taught a single path, the Eightfold Path, to develop a profound understanding of four noble truths. So to recognize and abandon all views rooted in ignorance of those truths and live free of the stress of constant craving. Tanavaga, abandon craving, the Buddha's words. And notice that the, the direct and personal nature of this, this sutta or this chapter and the concluding chapters of this, they all kind of build in this way. I keep using the word crescendo because that's how it looks to me now. That they build in directness, in significance, um, and in clear direction. The craving of mindless people grows like a creeper. Like a monkey seeking fruit in the forest, they leap from moment to moment to <coughs> excuse me, tasting the fruits of their karma. And it's interesting that a lot of people describe and their uncontrolled mind as a monkey mind. Those were the words from 2,600 years ago. What a brilliant man. 
Those unrefined, clinging to craving, are overcome in the world. Their sorrow grows like grass after the ruin, after the rains. And life becomes, it seemingly becomes more and more difficult, even as we're, we might be building a life for ourselves, some might say even a successful life. But the sorrow is there because we, we never can get everything that we want. We always want more, no matter how much we have, usually. And we always develop aversions to things that we hope will never happen to us. But the world doesn't work that way. There's a flow in permanence, remember. Some days chicken, some days not. Some days we get all we want. And those are the days that when somebody asks us how your day is going, you'll say, great. And those days that you don't get what you want and somebody asks you, you'll say it was the worst day you ever had. Both of those things are a fabrication, aren't they? It's just a day. It's a day in a human life. And as Jen loves to say, remind us always, we train only for calm. We don't train so we can acquire things. That's not what life is about. Those refined, having overcome the world, released from craving, difficult to escape, their sorrow rolls away like water beads off a lotus. Beautiful line, isn't it? And listen to the personalization of this. I say to all of you, you are all fortunate indeed, fortunate to what to hear the Dhamma. As you would uproot medicinal urge, you should uproot craving. It's the root of all miserableness in life. It's the root of all antagonistic behavior between you and other people or between people out in the world. It's the reason why we fight wars. By the way, I always say this, maybe I shouldn't, but every day, I'm 67 years old, so I'm going to be 68. Um, and there's not a day in my lifetime that there hasn't been a war going on somewhere on this planet. And it's much like the Buddhist time. Nothing has changed much. We're still rooted in tanha and craving and desire and wanting things to be different and wanting to control people and wanting to take on an ideology that is antagonistic against another group of people. And we almost make a sport out of our own craving, especially when we start clinging our craving in ideological ways to other people that just reaffirm our own craving. In the last chapter, we, the Buddha talked about that, to be mindful of your associations because it is who you associate with and what you associate with in your mind, what ideas that you associate with that will determine your moment-by-moment existence, whether it's going to be calm or constant distraction. The Buddha continues, just as a tree will, walk, will rise again if its roots are not cut, any craving not rooted out will arise again and again. And so this, this manifests in um, noticeable uh, ways in our Dhamma. And I've noticed it, I've noticed it in myself, and I've noticed it in many people that I've taught that they'll practice the Dhamma and they'll bring a lot of their life into the Dhamma, framed by the Dhamma. But there's this or that that they'll hold out that they need to manage in their own way rather than seeing it clearly. Usually has something to do with, with a, a job or um, a relationship, but those are the big things, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And the reason why we don't usually deal with them right away is we need to develop a foundation. And as we develop our Dhamma practice, we'll be able to recognize those things that we're holding out from the Dhamma. And that's the development of an awakened human being. The mindless person, 
The currents of craving flowing unrestrained are always grasping after pleasure and are swept away by the flood of their own passionate thoughts. What a powerful sentence. Everywhere the currents of craving flow, the creeper grows and grows. Understanding, the wise disciple cuts craving at its root. And what is the root of craving? Ignorance of four noble truths. Flowing in from all phenomena and sustained by craving, feelings of pleasure arise in all beings. So again, the Buddha is applying this um, inclination for human beings to crave as a common human problem or not even a problem, a common human characterization. So if we find that we're craving a lot, we're not bad people or damaged people. We don't need magic or something mystical to change us. We don't need salvation. We just need to develop concentration and integrate the Eightfold Path. And then we'll stop the creeper. But only we can do it. Right? This isn't a faith-based religion. It's practical direction on how to live our life moment by moment. Grasping after pleasure and satisfaction, people succumb to impermanence and decay. Overwhelmed by craving, the fool chases pleasure like a caged rabbit looking for escape. Bound to the world by greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, they give rise to suffering forever. This is getting a little heavy, isn't it? But the Buddha doesn't leave us there. Overwhelmed by craving, the fool chases pleasure like a rabbit caught in a snare. Those that strive to abandon passion will destroy craving. So he, he, in two paragraphs, really three sentences, the Buddha describes the problem of dukkha, of ignorance. And in the very last sentence, he says, this is the way out. Those that strive to abandon passion will destroy craving. So all we have to do to, is strive within the framework of the Eightfold Path. What does that mean? What's, how does that characterize? Right effort. There are those that abandon worldly entanglements and turn to my Dharma. And though free, run back to that bondage. We just talked about that. Holding something out that you won't bring into the Dharma or look at it from right view. It's an exception. Look at this person. Once free, they run back to the same old chains. And I've seen that again. I saw it myself. And it's very common. Again, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you or wrong with your Dhamma practice. Why the Buddha is teaching this is not to berate people. He's cautioning us. Even though your mind have it, the mind is tricky. A conditioned mind is very tricky. Ignorance is very tricky. It's included in the word, isn't it? Ignorance needs us to ignore ignorance to continue. It's that, that, that feedback loop that the, bar, the Buddha described in the Nagara Sutta. Ignorance compels us to ignore itself. The wise know that clinging to iron, wood, or hemp is easier to cut than an infatuation with jewels, ornaments, children, or spouses. This is the bond that is elastic, constraining, hard to cut. The wise cut even these bonds. The wise abandon sensual pleasures and calmly renounce the world. Those infatuated by desire are stuck in the swirling river current of ignorance, like a spider stuck in its own web. The wise disciple cuts this off at a truth. Having abandoned craving, 
they abandon all suffering and are liberated of worldly entanglements. Release the past, the Buddha says. Release the future. Imagine doing that. Imagine not having your thoughts bouncing back and forth from the past to the future and never right here and right now. In fact, it's often when our thoughts bounce to the future that they determine what we're going to talk, think about in the future and often talk about it. When none of it has any reality, because this is the moment of our human life. Not yesterday or the last moment, not the next moment or tomorrow. This and only this is the time that I can live my life right here, right now. This and only this moment is the only time that I can actually practice the Dharma. And when I find that I'm distracted, I take a breath, I unite my mind and my body. And that's developed through Dharma practice. In the beginning, that might sound even impossible. But those that have practiced for a short while realize that it is the inevitable result of real Dharma practice. With a mind wholly liberated, you will no longer give birth to another moment rooted in the living death of ignorance. That's the Buddhist teaching on birth and rebirth. He never taught anything about future births because it, it has nothing to do with our human life right here and right now. For a person who is tormented by their, their, their own deluded thoughts, overcome by passion for the pursuit of pleasure, their, their craving only grows st stronger indeed. Excuse me. Those who delight in overcoming delusion, we say that sometimes we refer to that as rapture or joyful engagement with the Dharma. <clears throat> Those who delight in overcoming delusion, who are always mindful, who abandons greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, will end craving by recognizing and abandoning ignorance. Those fearless, free of craving, have overcome passion for the world, who has plucked the thorns of ignorance. There will be no further, further becoming, becoming further ignorant, giving birth to another moment rooted in ignorance. Those free of craving and clinging, perfectly understanding the truth of my Dhamma and the proper context, Right, so that proper context is developed by what we do here. We meditate, we come to class, and we study. And that provides the context, the proper context. It, it was, when I started understanding what the Buddha taught, and this is after, which I really kept track of, but it's 10 to 15 years in the modern Buddhist schools. And over, over the course of that time, I might have heard Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Paths two or three times. It was never taught. And the only thing that was really referenced were um, the, 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 the sutras that came much later after the Buddha's um, death, so we didn't teach them, or a, uh, a severe modification of dependent origination, meaning call, calling it interdependent co-arising or interbeing or anything else that the Buddha didn't teach. The context for, for this, what the Buddha is talking about, is understanding what is taught in dependent origination and for noble truths. That, that's the proper context. Those, those who do so will, be, will indeed be free of ignorance. They are profoundly wise, a great person. Through right knowledge, the Buddha's words, I have conquered the world. This is a really bold statement then and now, isn't it? But that's the point. We'll learn, and when I teach the Ratana Sutta, we can learn it right now. This is what we do. 
we take this refuge in the understanding that a human being actually did this, that human being left his instructions on how to do it. And we are so fortunate to have a well-informed and well-focused saga so that we have that, that third jewel, which the Buddha said is the most important jewel. We are so fortunate to have what's here. And I say that often, but that's because I've been in a lot of different traditions and sanghas and temples and I'm not putting them down, but I didn't learn anything about what it means to be a human being until I started studying what the Buddha actually taught. Through right knowledge, the Buddha's words, I have conquered the world. I am free of clinging. Through abandoning ignorance, I am free of craving. I have comprehended this by myself. Why? He's not bragging. The Buddha wasn't given to braggadocio. <clears throat> He's saying, if I can do it, you can do it. I have comprehended this by myself. And then he says, who would I call my teacher? He's saying the same things. Who would we call ultimately our teachers? It's ourselves in our own right effort. You get guidance and support by teachers and the rest of our sangha. But you are your own teacher. Only you can teach yourself what it means to be you. And doesn't that make perfect sense? I can't teach you what it means to be you. How could I? But I can relate to you what it's been like to get to know who I am. And until I did that, I thought there was something severely wrong with me. I thought I was too short, at times too fat, at times too long hair, at times no hair. But I was never good enough for this world or this moment. Until I realized what's taught in Adatu Vibhana Sutta. I'm a six property person and no matter what I do with my life, I'm going to be a six property person. The four elements, the sixth prop, the fifth property of space and the sixth property of concentration of, of consciousness. Thank you. And that describes every human being, doesn't it? And then everything else that we do in our life is just the backdrop to how well we're living our life. So are we living our life, as Jen says, living it only for calm? Or are we living it always feeding Tana, always rooted in grief? Who would I call my teacher? The gift of the Dhamma is foremost. The taste of the Dhamma is foremost. Delight in the Dhamma is foremost. Free of craving ends all suffering. Riches ruin only the fool, not the wise disciple seeking Nibbana. The fool ruins themselves as well as others. That's what's going on in the world. Weeds destroy fields as craving ruins humanity. Therefore, what is offered to others, free of craving, yields abundant fruit. One more time. <coughs> Excuse me. Weeds destroy fields as craving ruins humanity. Therefore, what is offered to others, free of craving, Yields abundant fruit. That's a description of true liberation. And that's the end of today's sutta. Thank you all. Um, so the Buddha is really getting to the point of this, and he's being rather um, emphatic in what he's teaching. But again, the, in the context of the Dhammapada, and those that have been here since, for this whole study, 
um, I think we'll notice the gentle progression to these last seven or eight chapters that are really saying, this is it. This is what we need to do if we're going to awaken, gain full human maturity. Recognize and abandon tanha, thirst, craving, desire, as it arises, as it passes away in this moment. And it's okay to reflect on the past of yesterday when I needed three bowls of ice cream instead of two, or tomorrow when I'm going to get three bowls of ice cream. <clears throat> but right here, right now, what's going on in my mind right now? Is it calm? Is it peaceful? Is it the way that I want it? Because I'm in control of my mind, aren't I? Nothing else. No external influence or agent works on my mind. I do. So what am I craving for in this moment? What do I need in this moment to make me feel complete or happy or content? Do I need more of something? Do I need less of something? Do I need to be 25 again? Or can I just be a human being? Can I just be a six property person and leave it at that? Jeff, what do you think? Well, it certainly lays it out in plain, clear terms. Um, I, I don't think I could add anything at this time. Thank you. I always love it when I leave you speechless. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Mary, how are you? Good morning. Um, I hadn't read this ahead of time, and um, it, um, it feels like he's up the ante a little bit in this one. And, um, you know, really trying to get people's attention um, that the way is here. <clears throat> um, and then it's spelled out for you. So um, I'm, I'm probably going to reread this today and spend a little bit more time with it. And as always, it's timely. And uh, I appreciate the teaching. Thank you. Skillful study, Mary. Thank you. Julia, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for the teaching, John. Um, I think that this teaching reinforced for me something that I've been, that's been coming out in the previous classes about how yes, controlling your mind and being present, but it's about how you approach the task at hand. You made an aside comment about how, what are we holding out from the Dhamma, whether it's your job, how I am in my job or how I am in relationships. But even if you're having to think about things in the future in those areas, or if you're, I don't know, just living a human life and working through any of those things, it's just about how you're doing it in the moment that matters. Yeah. And that really resonated today. So thank you. Yeah, great. Thank you, Julia. Do you want to say hello to anybody here in the room? Uh, yeah, just uh, make sure that Zach gets out of there on time. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's got places okay. to go. Yeah, no, he already he had a reminder. He's got, he got 15 minutes, Zach. <laughs> Kevin, good morning. Good morning, John. Yeah, thanks for this teaching. It is, you know, really 
really kind of heavier than some of the others. I mean, it's, it's the second noble truth, just many different ways of looking at yeah. it and how pervasive craving is. The one thing that always sticks with me in reading this one is, you know, infatuation with jewels, et cetera, but then children and spouses. And that gets to be, you know, I run up against it and have repeatedly every time I read it. And as a householder, it's like, this is what we do. So yeah. It's hard to say I, I need to abandon this or relinquish it, but I don't think he's asking us to do that. No. But maybe abandon that second arrow of, you know, if it's not going right with my son or, or my wife right now. Um, and then feeling responsible, but not like hanging everything on it and creating yeah. for change for change for change. It will change. It's going to change it into the course, but um, I think it's really something that is nuanced. It's it's difficult to, uh, to grasp, or it maybe I'm grasping it as I'm talking about it. But um, thank you, thank you. Yeah, th 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 thank you for those comments. That the Buddha mentions that because he knows that's that's where people tend to not bring the Dhamma, you know, especially with their pile of gold or their their family. And so the Buddha is not saying he never, you know, he would have said it here if he, if he meant to. He didn't say don't have them, don't have children and spouses, don't, you know, you don't even, you know, not, there's nothing wrong with accumulating wealth. But as far as children and spouses, we should be caring and generous with our with our children and our, our partner. But we're not their saviors. And that's that's really what the Buddha is teaching. We're not here to save ourselves. We can't. There's nothing to save for. And we're not our children or our spouse's savior. And that can lead to a lot of common peace in a relationship. The difficulties I always had with, with my the, the women I was involved with, I didn't realize it at the time, was because I wanted them to be different. I thought I needed to save them. And that, that's, a, a, that's salvation, isn't it? And it, it's a... It's a it, it's a convenient way to look at the world and look at others and not look at yourself by saying, yeah, that person needs to be a little bit better in this way or that way. But I'm perfect as I am. I'm perfect as I am. Everybody else. But it's nobody else, is it? <clears throat> Just us. Thank you, Kevin. Brian, good morning. Good morning, John. Thank you. And Kevin, I was, I was picking up the same thing this morning. Um, and I think just looking back over the course of my practice and my, my children, it's that, that, that bondage that you have through craving and the clinging, um, that I want them to be different, or I've, I've put some form of conditions on their experience that I want to be a certain way that yep. I have no control over that. And so there's, you know, for me, it's been the craving and the clinging and also a lot of irrational fear about their their well-being and their their future and it's just again that's i can't control any of that so once i've started to strip away the conditioning and the craving and the clinging and I, i've just got a more realistic and calm relationship with them because they, they can just be who they want to be you know um that was tough at first for sure 
but um, yeah, I think it's it's and I I always remind myself too. The Buddha had a wife and child, yeah, himself, um, and I'm sure he loved them and cared for them, and you know he didn't cut them out of his life. He, he trained them. <laughs> they were part of the, yeah part of the original part of the saga. So yeah. you know I I think that's for me is always comforting and, and reassuring that what we're getting rid of are, are just these, these things that lead to our suffering and the suffering of others, nothing else. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. Uh, uh, Does anybody not want to be on camera? It's okay. If you don't want to be. Okay. Here's Zach. Good morning, Zach. Let me get to you. Thank you for teaching. Um, That last line to me just packs such a punch. Yeah. And I'm curious, it says to others, is the Buddha speaking of generosity in that moment? Because I think the line is just as powerful. What is offered free of craving yields abundant fruit. The present yields abundant fruit. Yeah, it's it, kind of- It's um, ongoing generosity. And the, the Buddha also said, uh, and it's kind of inferred here, but directly in other ways, that the greatest gift that we can share with anyone is being an example of, an awakened, fully mature human being. But along the way, as we, as our own craving and clinging for things and even ideas, lessons, we will be much more generous with people. And we, and it will bear fruit. And how will it bear fruit? Well, it's not like I'm going to be really generous with you and I'll give you 10 bucks because I know the universe is going to send me a hundred back. Oh, people believe that. I, I believed it for a while. Or even I'm going to be good to you, not because I really care about you as a human being, but because I'll get to heaven and it proves what a good person I am. That's a fabrication, even though the, the, the interaction might be the same. But in my mind, it's destroying, isn't it? The belief in salvation. But just giving freely of yourself in whatever the situation is, is what the Buddha is talking about. But the most thing that we can give to ourselves and other human beings. The most loving thing we can do for ourselves and other human beings is to take to the Dharma and awaken. Because at the very least, we won't be contributing to stress and suffering in the world. And that always bears fruit, doesn't it? So it's a very deep and profound, but also very practical teaching, isn't it? You have anything else, Zach? No. Thank you for Thank joining you. us. You better get going soon. You got. <laughs> You got seven minutes. <laughs> All right, let me go to um, Bridget. Yeah. It's, it's just hell getting old. Jen, could you get out of the way? Yeah, yeah. There, we got it. There's Bridget. This was extremely helpful. You know, as everybody's pointing out, you know, there's those places in your life that are the more challenging places to learn to apply the Dhamma. And uh, I think I've been having the feeling lately that I've kind of applied the Dhamma to some of the easier places and feeling (laughs) kind of confident to, you know, to move through those types of interactions and experiences. And I'm looking at the more difficult ones and trying to apply Dhamma more consciously in the moment and it's you know it's challenging (laughs) and I'm trying to be patient and gentle and and give space and time for the skillfulness to develop 
um, but this teaching really gave me a lot of, I think, the, the tools necessary to start to, to do that more effectively. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. That's all I have. Thank you, Bridget. That was a lot. And that the foundation that you built with recognizing craving on the less important things is the foundation for bringing it to the more seemingly important things, isn't it? <clears throat> and that's Dhamma practice as well. You know, the, the, the occasional thief who might steal a pack of gum once a week down at the convenience store, it's easy to stop doing what most people it should be. I mean, those are, uh, maybe that's a silly example, but that might be something that's easy to drop. But dealing with your children or your spouse or a boss or your employees or et cetera, et cetera, those things are more difficult. That's why we build a foundation and then finally apply it. Again, life itself in this moment is Dhamma practice. And it's the only place we can practice the Dhamma is right here and right now. That doesn't mean that if we lose our minds and are distracted for a day or two, doesn't mean that we're not practicing the Dhamma because the Dhamma teaches us just like on our cushions, we recognize that we've become distracted off our cushions in our daily life. We might, we will recognize, oh, I've become distracted for a few days. Let me be gentle with myself and sit. And it's just like that. So thank you, Bridget. Hello, Becky. Sangha mom. Hello. Hello. Um, boy, this was really really hit me today. Um, I just learned, I feel like I, I learned a lot about myself just trying to imagine cutting the difficult bonds. But Kevin and Brian, what they said was so helpful, so helpful. And the important thing, as Bridget said, is remembering that you're doing this in the moment. It's not something you can sit down and figure out how to do. It's just you're doing it in the moment. And that, to me, really gives you a, a framework for doing it. Yeah. And really, you know, just really makes you believe that you can do it. And it's it's simple, but it's not easy. But it's it just gives you a a, a look into success, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Becky. Thank I you think it's good. It's it, it the simplicity of the Dhamma is one of the issues that people have because we think it should be more. Mm -hmm. What is that? That's thirst. That's saying, wait a minute, this I can't I make anymore. I can't promote myself out into the world. Well, it's a but a much better promotion of yourself as a common human being than somebody who's you know, maybe quietly aggressive or always grasping after others <clears> in competition. And in the moment is when you realize you're doing it or you're not doing it. Yeah. It's in the moment. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And that begins with jhana meditation, jhana meditation, developing just a little bit of concentration. 
and then you'll start seeing it. You know, again, it's just when you think about how brilliant this man was from 2,600 years ago, no technology, you know, no Wikipedia, no nothing. And he figured this all out. And it is so simple and brilliant and straightforward. And it still works. The four noble truths are still noble. They still work. Thank you, Becky. Stephanie, you, again, you don't mind? No, I don't mind. And nobody has, you, you're not compelled to talk. If you'd rather take noble silence, that's fine. That's okay. Um, and welcome to our summit. Thank you. I think ever since I started really meditating um, and putting meditation in my life, um, I noticed that, and I realized that I'm able to let things bounce off of me more and not have, I think, I think what he's saying is that you really just can't have control of other people. Yeah. And you only have control of yourself and whatever you do, whatever you feel is your cause. And if you feel disturbed, it's your problem. <laughs> and I think he's also saying, let the shit show happen. <laughs> you know, just sit back and let it happen. Don't, don't, don't take control, yeah. you know? Don't take and it personally. Don't take it personally. And I think ever since I started really meditating, um, I see things in a different perspective that, you know, just closing my mouth and letting the people around me live their lives, I don't have control of their thoughts or how they think and what they do. And, you know, I, I can't force someone to put a left sock on and then a right sock. And, um, and I say that because, <clears throat> because it, you get tight and you get so wound up and I get wound up and then I say, well, what am I doing here? What, what do I really want from this? And I just have to let this disappear um, because it's only in the moment, keep my head where my hands are and have a more of a disciplined mind, okay. but not be controlling. And I was always told that when you want to let go, it's just going to happen. It's just not another thing to do. I can't, mm, I, it just yes. has to happen. Yeah. I, I always thought, oh, I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go. But now letting go is what am I really craving? What do I really want? What do I really want to cling to? Yeah. What am I clenching at? you know, that tightness. And uh, it's really nothing. Yeah. I'm just making it all up. Anyhow, that's all I have to say. But I think he has a, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty cool what he says. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a lot, Stephanie. The, the, uh, the way that we do recognize that is meditation, jhana meditation is yes. one aspect of it. So now you're going to learn the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path, the 10 results and resolves itself in ongoing right view, which is just um, uh, you regain your natural state. So at that point, it's not, it's not something that you have to do. You simply remain calm. But up until you get to that point, you do notice, yeah, I want this to be different, that to be different. And it, and it does get easier. It's You'll yeah, everybody here would say that. It. You'll go, oh, I did that. And then you'll say, oh my gosh. All right, next time. But um, 
you can't like control everything, you know, it's not you can't control possible. anything except your own thoughts. Right, exactly. Yeah. But just let them live their lives. Yeah. I'm not here to control them. Yeah. That's the beginning of being gentle. Thank you, yeah. Stephanie. You're welcome. Hello, Dominic. Oh. 9.33, my friend. I'm going to stick around for a few more. Oh, you guys oh, can't leave. Did you hear that, Julia? Taking noble silence. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> hey, Bashi, you can't. I, I won't say anything. She'll never know when you leave. <laughs> I'm a teacher, Ron. Yeah, that, that one line where he speaks of the uh, uh, wood, the iron, and, and the hemp. Uh, those were the things that were used in those days to imprison people. You were bound by rope, you were bound by chain, yep. you were locked up behind heavy doors. And <clears throat> these are the things that we now, you know, what, what craving does to us, it, it binds us, it imprisons us, ties us to, to things that we think we should be tied to. Yeah, we're the jailer. Yeah. We're our own jailer. Mm -hmm. and, and in a way, we, we try to imprison others. Yeah. We even have a phrase, we, and we take hostages. That's a common <laughs> phrase, you know, take people hostage. But in, in, in families, that's a difficult thing to get on. Uh, you know, and to, to find a balance between caring for people and wanting them to be different than they are, that's a very fine line. Yeah, it is. But once you cross that divide, you realize it's really not, because it, then it becomes only one thing. You know? Yeah. The lack of salvation, but care goes, you know, just because we're not trying to save people doesn't mean we don't care for them. And I would say I care more deeply for humanity than I ever did before because I realize I don't have to change it. I can I can be present with it and observe it. I was talking to David about you know, how interesting this and that was that keeps popping up in society. You know, just watching the manifestation of greed and aversion always arising and passing away. In human events, it just and it's that's what this world is about. It seems there is dukkha. But in in, in, in in family life, it's also the perfect opportunity to see that arising. Yeah. <clears throat> because it's um, it goes pretty deep. Yeah. Thank you. Dharma teacher Jen. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. I feel like I need like I want to hit the ball, hit the pause button so I can just like take it all in, get all my thoughts together, and then um because there's like little pieces of what everybody said that um yeah. so I feel like. If there's areas of your life that you're not, that you're insulating from this practice, um, 
that is because of habit and fear and suffering and Ironically, it seems like hard to recognize how much impermanence can disrupt the things that we love. Yeah. To bring in impermanence and our understanding of impermanence with our loved ones or the things that we cherish is to see how we're identifying with them. Even though it feels like super uncomfortable and challenging. So it's, it's a, there's like an irony there to me that how the, it seems like the Buddha's being harsh, but really he's being very compassionate. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to point out was that if you're in the habit of practicing jhana and you develop the habit of seeing and observing and staying present with the breath, feelings, thoughts, and overall states of mind <clears throat> arising and passing away on their own, then you're in the habit of consistently staying with impermanence. Yeah. And once you develop that habit, then you just naturally bring it into all aspects of your life. Say that again if you can. Once you're in the habit of doing that, you just naturally bring it into the aspects of your life. Yeah. So it's not like <laughs> you have to like that that angst that we feel around that is just fabrication. Yes. It's just, you know, our our identity coming up against impermanence mm -hmm. in our own minds in this very moment, you know. So it's not that hard. It's I mean not. it is, yes, but yes, it, yes, it's yes, like yes. Yes. So, so it's like Say that again. it feels hard. It feels hard, but uh -huh. it's really just the fabrication of yeah. of Oh, you know, I how can I how can I recognize the impermanence of my of my relationships? Yeah. That's seems that seems insurmountable. But it isn't it's, that you need to hold that in mind at all times. It's just that you have to stay present in this moment with the fear that you're feeling around that. And that's it. Yeah. And and it's just present moment, 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 moment by moment by moment. And the more often it just happens. It just comes in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
just wish I could keep that in my mind all the time. <laughs> yeah. Jack, have fun today. I'm glad you joined us. Thank you. It's like mic drop. Well, I, I, that's a, yeah. what you just said is a drop the mic. Just wish I could like have that all the time. Just not you know, keep it in. <laughs> yeah, but you're developing it, aren't you? Jen has a, a very beautiful scientific analytical mind. <laughs> And you, in a good way, you break the Dhamma down to its elements, much like you might do in a biology experiment. Yeah. You, you pick it out. This is, this, this is a specific element of the Dhamma. Uh, I don't know if anybody noticed, I was smiling through that whole thing. <laughs> Thank you. Not that I wasn't smiling, everybody else was. Here's Dhamma teacher David. Good morning. Jen. So really what Jen's talking about is the need to keep developing the refined mindfulness. So when that moment does arise, that she's there for it. Yeah. And obviously being at a stop sign is easier to be there than the thought that you can lose a child or yeah. something's gonna end. But that's what this practice is all about, is to be sensitive to impermanence. Yep. And everything changes. Everything changes. So be sensitive to it. And Stephanie's description of like that tightness and that like, <clears throat> like you get like tunnel vision. And then this practice allows you to open up to see that moment of importance, a job, a child, a spouse. And that's what this practice is all about, is allowing you to be at, at that moment, be sensitive. And it's the same mechanism. It's the same development of this practice is from the very little to the very most serious. Yeah. And there's no advanced course and there's no, no thing you can do to rush it. Yeah. You just have to come to class. Mm -hmm. sit twice a day listen listen to the stories and you know that's it <laughs> that is it that's it thank you david yeah there's the uh there is a, a section on the website about how we teach and practice the dhamma and it's always a good review um, but of course we suggest two meditation sessions jhana sessions using the recorded uh guided meditations from the website and then doing this you know doing a little sutta study during the week and coming to class. And this, again, this is another remarkable class. All of you, including Stephanie, you know, a new member, a new Sangha member, uh, contributes to this thing that the Buddha said is the true jewel. It's, the, it's a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. And again, as in the Buddha teaches in the Anapanasati Sutta, this, what we have here is rare in the world. Even during the Buddha's time, People that stay focused on the Dhamma were rare, and people that actually awakened through the Dhamma were rare. <clears throat> and we're doing, you know, I say it often on retreat and more often here too now, that we are practicing the Dhamma as close as possible to the way the original Sangha practiced the Dhamma. I think that's remarkable. Uh, all right, well, uh, we'll, I think I'm done. Go ahead. Have to say, oh, with, with Jen. Camera, Jack. Oh, sorry. 
Jesus, Johnny. Da, 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 da. Um, Jen reminded me of something uh, that happened within with, with me and a family member. Um, I just was just thinking, yeah, she, she has passed now, so there's, there's no way that she's going to hear it, I don't think. Um, and she had just come through her third divorce, and she was really agitated, hateful about all three of her uh, failed marriages, even the first one that was, I think, 18 or 20 years before this one. And I tried to explain to her that in, in a way that might make sense to her, but in permanence. That just because you married someone and you were in love with them or you wouldn't have gotten married to them, people do change. And we shouldn't hate them just because they change. And one of them did something that was pretty awful, but that was still an aspect of his behavior changing. And so people change. Does it do us any good? I remember saying this to us. Is it doing you any good to hate someone, 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 so? And she, her answer was yes. And I, I realized that there was nothing, I mean, I didn't just drop it, I, I cared for her, but there was nothing else I could do. And That's she, right. she insisted that that was how she had to see this relationship. Because, why? Because she was taking it so personally. How could someone reject me? It must be their fault. Instead of just recognizing people do change. They do. You know, I remember when I got divorced and I, it was a pleasant divorce more or less. Um, and I said, basically, I didn't know much about the Dhamma at the time, but I said basically the same thing to my future ex-wife at the time. With Joanne, I said, it's not that you're a horrible person or that, you know, I don't even care for you, but we were married seven years. I said, but we both changed. We didn't have children. And I, and I, it was obvious. We both had changed a lot. We were both in recovery and she worked on herself in a certain way and I did some other things, but we just grew apart. No need to hate each other. And for the most part, that was a, you know, as pleasant a divorce as you can get. Um, and we touched on uh, the things that we are supposed to gain an understanding of, the three marks of existence, anicca, anatta, dukkha, impermanence, the not self-characteristic, resulting in dukkha, stress, and suffering. Because we don't understand impermanence, anicca, and we don't understand the not-self-characteristic, anatta, which the Buddha teaches as the self that we think we are does not constitute itself. Let go of those views and develop right view. And again, this is another direct teaching on how to do that. Again, what a great class. We'll finish with uh, any questions or comments before we close. Okay, we'll finish with the meta as we always do. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And either, these are the Buddha's words on meta, um, where he's describing awakened human beings. <clears throat> this is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, content and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. 
They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. <clears throat> having completed the path, they are never born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.